I just love when you, you, you come up here and you watch people engage. It's like this whole side when they're like, yeah, meet someone new or talk to someone. Everyone stood up. And this side over here, they were just like, they wouldn't even turn their head all the way around. It's like a half turn. I was like, hey. And look back to the front. So it's just funny. Um, I think Savannah brought up a really good point um, about the snow. Who here was excited about the snow? Raise your hand. Who was not? Okay, let me tell you why. I, two reasons I was not very happy with the snow. First off, I had a tea time for 3.30 yesterday, or tomorrow, and it's canceled. I don't get a golf. I'm very sad. Um, and then someone asked me, do you like to golf when it's this cold? I said, yes, because no one's out there, and it's like 10 bucks cheaper. The second thing is I have this weird thing where if I'm not supposed to be wet, like supposed to be dry, like it rains, I like hate rain if I'm out in it because I'm like, oh, this is terrible. So it was snowing. I didn't like it. It is what it is. But um, super thankful for you guys to be here. If you guys do not know me, my name is Andrew. Um, I am on the college staff here, part of the college team. Um, and I'm super excited to be here tonight. Um, we are diving into a new series. So we just finished our series on work. And now we are diving into a new series called Jesus Calls. What this whole series is, is we see pl plenty of places in culture that we are called to do things, called to act a certain way, called to live a certain way, called to believe certain things. Um, and we just want to run to the Gospels um, and look at the face of Jesus um, and look at what Jesus says and does um, that opposes what we hear inside of our culture. So throughout this series, we're, the series, three of the other topics we're going to be talking about is next week we're going to be talking about Jesus calls us to unity, the week after Jesus calls us to humility, um, and then we're going to close the series by Jesus calls us to go. Um, but tonight, we are going to jump into um, what Jesus says about following him. Now for many of us um, that maybe grew up in the church or is a believer um, and has put chosen to follow Christ, um, you probably hear that and you're like, oh, it's another sermon about following Jesus, right? Um, it's another sermon about hearing like what that pursuit looks like. But what I would challenge you, if this is something repetitive or many times, is to ask the question, um, am, I, am, I, am I following Christ well? Or has it just become another thing that I do to check off a list? Um, so if you guys would pray with me and then we'll jump on in. Lord, we just thank you um, for tonight. We thank you that you are good um, and that your word, um, yet read over and over and over, still produces life and it produces joy in our hearts. So, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come move in our hearts. You would stir our hearts to affection, um, not to remember anything that I say, but, Lord, to remember the goodness of who you are and what your word has to say. So we just thank you and it's in your name. Amen. Sweet. So if you want to shoot the picture up, um, this is little freshman Andrew. I... The funny thing is if I shave my beard now, I still look like that. Um, but so this is freshman Andrew. This guy in the main picture, this is one of my really good friends. His name is Jack. Um, so my freshman year, I go into um, the college I went to called Howard Payne, middle of nowhere, Texas, 1,000 students. You've probably never heard of it. Um, and Jack was a senior. Now, Jack was everything that I wanted to accomplish in college, right? Jack was the um, pledge captain of, my, of the fraternity that I ended up joining. Um, I was like, dude, this dude's so cool. He's in a frat, right? So I have to be like him. Jack was super well-known around campus. Everyone knew who Jack was. Everyone wanted to be around Jack. Um, at this point, I was a new Christian, and I was like, yo, Jack leads a youth ministry with high school and middle school students. He's so cool. I want to be just like him. Um, <clears throat> and he was also really, really good at sports. I come in as a freshman, a new kid. I'm like, this is the guy I want to be. And I spent so much time with Jack. 
I probably annoyed the heck out of him the first semester because it was like, I just come to his like apartment and be like, yo, Jack, you want to hang out? And he's like, dude, it's like 8 a.m. What the heck are you doing, bro? Um, but I like wanted to be like, so I, everything I did, every second, every part of my life was how can I be around Jack? How can I be friends with Jack? How can Jack want me to be a part of his life? And the very interesting thing is through my freshman year, we became super close friends. We um, actually, a lot happened um, in his life, and I was able to be a friend and love him well. But the interesting thing, at the end of my freshman year, I realized something. I, I didn't become Jack, but I started to act like him. I talked like him. I responded like him. I made jokes like him. I did all these kind of things because the thing is, is I hung out so much with, uh, with him, I just took it on. The thing is, I don't think he would ever say like I was like following him. But in essence, that's what I was doing. I, in some ways, I would say like, I idolized him. Um, and so the thing is, is I became um, what I looked towards. I reflected that which I followed. And I think Jesus, um, as we s- we're going to read t- tonight, is, tells us the exact same thing, that we reflect that which we follow. And so the question I want to start with is, what are you reflecting what are you reflecting? Because it's going to show what your heart is truly following. I want to start with this. Jesus, very clearly, I mean, one story of the gospel, does it other places. Um, the gospel is the first four books of the New Testament, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, he, he does this thing where he calls these men to follow him. Um, it come, he calls, ultimately, 12 disciples, um, 12 men that follow him through his three-year ministry, um, and they follow him everywhere, doing everything with him, and he does some really crazy and cool things with him. Um, but what happens is at the very beginning um, of Matthew chapter 4, uh, I'm just going to give you a rundown of what happened. Um, we see a story of Jesus calling four men, two sets of brothers. Um, so we're going to start with the first one. It's the two brothers were Peter and Andrew. You may have heard of them, Simon, Peter, Andrew. There's these two brothers. They're fishermen. Um, pretty much all it says is Jesus walked up on them, was like, hey, I want to make you fishers of men. Follow me. And they're just like, through their stuff, and they followed after Jesus, right? It was like this spontaneous, the word they used was immediately followed. So Jesus walks up to them. Really, we don't have any context of him, him knowing them personally or like intimately. He just walks up to them while they're fishing and says, hey, follow me. And they, give, they give it all up, and they follow Jesus. Right after those verses, it says these three were walking, and they pull up on two more brothers, James and John, who are also fishermen, um, but instead of out in the waters fishing, they're sitting there with their father, mending a net. He says, hey, follow me. And these two guys, like, drop their, like, nets in front of their father, and they follow Jesus. And it's like, this story of Jesus, like, over we see through the 12 disciples, Jesus is saying, hey, follow me, and they follow, right? It's like, very quick, there's not really much explanation. And, like, for most of us, if, like, some random person came up and says, hey, why don't you follow me? Like, that's like a heck no, like, I ain't gonna do that, like, not going to happen, right? But what's interesting about these, around this time is it wasn't a normal thing to be told, hey, follow me. But it was way less weird, um, mostly because back in this time when Jesus was around, um, there were rabbis or teachers, like people of noble standing that knew the faith and Christianity, and they would, they would go to people and say, hey, I want to be your teacher. Come and follow me. They, they would bring people in, and it, it wasn't just anyone. It was like usually the very smart, the very noble, the very recognized people that they would invite to follow. What was interesting is Jesus went to fishermen, lowly men, and looked at them and says, hey, follow me. 
And for most of us, we'd be like, if we were doing something, we wouldn't be just like, I just jump and do it. But for these men, it was like, they never had a chance to be noble. They never had a chance to be anything but fishermen. So of course, they, they, hop, on the, they hop on behind Jesus and say, let's go, let's go do whatever. This teacher who can make me something more than what I am now, I'm all about him. So we start with these two stories of Jesus clearly calling people to follow him. But what these men may have known is following him physically and following him just to understand more meant something completely else, different to Jesus. And so I want to I talk more, what does Jesus really mean when he tells these men, follow me? And what does it really mean when, he, when we hear the word, follow me, and it points to us, and are we going to follow Christ? We're going to spend the whole, pretty much 90% of the night in Mark 8, so if you have it, you can flip to it. If not, it's going to be on the, stage, or on the screen. Um, but I think Mark 8, verses, verse 34, is the perfect example and def- definition of what Jesus truly meant when he went to these men and said, follow me. So if you guys want to flip there or read with me up here. In Mark 8, 34, it says this, And calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, if anyone would choose to follow me, if anyone would choose to be my disciple, to put their hope in me, any, however you want to say it, who, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When Jesus called his disciples to follow, he, this is ultimately what he meant. He ultimately was telling these guys, hey, deny yourselves, pick up your cross, and follow me. So what does that mean? What does it mean for all these things? Like, very easily we can just jump in and go like, oh, I understand what that means. Right? The first one he says is deny yourself. Right? That's not like a super, like, we understand, deny ourselves. But for most of us, what we take it as is this, like, idea of, like, I really want this, but I know I probably shouldn't have it, so I'm not going to do it. Like, Think, one thing I was thinking of is like a runner, right? Someone who's training for a marathon, bless their hearts if you're doing that. Um, but like, I remember training for a half marathon, never doing it again. But I remember having to wake up like at 5 a.m. because I had an eight-mile run in front of me. I, I remember I had to be disciplined. And that was the idea that like most of us have. Like, oh, I have to deny myself. I deny myself sleep. I deny myself rest so I can reach the goal that is in front of me. I must give up something I really want so that I can be disciplined enough to say no. For another way to think about it is like someone who's trying to make like diet changes or lifestyle changes, right? Like, like your boy right here loves cookies. But when I'm like trying to like to eat healthier, like I'm like, I want that cookie so bad. But I'm gonna say no to it. Like we understand denial as this discipline. And it is that. But when Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, it's far greater than this idea of just self-denial, can't have. It's just giving up. We deny ourselves by willingly giving up. It's not this, it's not always this eternal wrestle or like internal wrestle where we're like, ah, I don't want it. It's over there. It's like, no, I willingly give something up because something else is better. When Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, when he's telling these men, it's like, look, like they're fishermen. They have their whole lives ahead of them. And yet it's not great. It's still a job. It's still something that they're working for. I mean, James and John were sitting at the feet, like sitting with their father, mending a net, which means that it probably was a family business. And Jesus is like, hey, deny yourself. Let all that go and follow me. These guys had to literally look at their father and go like, I'm done here. Like 
them following Jesus was not just like a, oh, this is great and wonderful. They gave up everything else. I mean, it's like Peter and um, Simon Peter and Andrew, they were fishing. So they probably had to like, like my assumption is like they're fishing. They got to jump out of the boat and follow Jesus. Like they had to quit what they were doing to follow Jesus. When Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, it's not this denial of just, I, I really want to do all this stuff, but I'm going to say no. Sometimes it is. But it's, it's honestly going, man, like, I'm just going to give up everything else. It's a willing desire to let things go. Jesus says if we're to follow him, we have to come after him, however you want to say it, is you have to deny yourself. On things you really want, you have to say no, and then it's letting things go that aren't worth it. Deny yourself. The second, second thing he says is pick up your cross. Now, if you didn't grow up in a church, like the idea of a cross makes zero sense to you. But what we know historically about a cross is this, is that the Romans used the cross um, for a method of torture, and this was called crucifixion. So what crucifixion was is they would get um, a person, it would be on a beam that looks like a cross, you probably know what they look like at least, um, and they would either hang, like they would tie them or nail them um, to the cross and they would hang there, right? Um, the, way, the reason it was torture is because what it would do, it would suffocate you um, until you died, and if you didn't die in the time they wanted, they just like smacked your knees and broke them, and they're like, well, there you go. Like when, when the idea, like when these men, like when Jesus thinking, hey, pick up your cross, all of them went, were like, oh, the Romans, like they put people on crosses. The cross equals death. Jesus was calling these men and eventually all of them would, or most of them would die in pretty horrendous ways. And it would, with all they knew was like, if Jesus is calling us to give everything up and to pick up our cross, that means, that means we let everything go and we take on the way that may be death. For us, it looks a little bit different. I don't think any of us are going to be crucified at the stake or taken out um, and like they do in other countries. And what it does mean is like, man, what, did, what would it look like to pick up our cross? Well, the cross brought shame. For you to be walking with your cross down the road up to, up to where they were going to put you, it was shameful. It was lowly. It was lonely. Like, Jesus isn't just calling them to like, hey, pick up your cross, follow me. Like, he's like, no, like, if you pick up your cross, it may be, like, pretty difficult. You may feel lonely. You may feel shameful. You may feel like everything else is against you. But if we were to follow Christ, we, we give everything up, and we take on the way of Christ that may be hard and probably will be hard. The last thing he says is, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Now, most of us, we would think of, like, this idea of, like, there's a I don't know if you guys in kindergarten ever played, like, follow the leader, but, like, you followed after them. And I, I realize this now, like, how dumb of a game that was. You literally just walked around in circles. Um, and my, I was ADHD, I've been ADHD almost my whole life, and, like, I never did it well. I got in so much trouble for it. But, like, we think of this idea of, like, I just follow after Jesus, or I follow after something, and I do it, and I do it. And that's not what Jesus would, would say here. The way we think of following is the way, like, a flock of sheep follows its shepherd, I don't know if any of you guys have ever been around sheep. Um, I grew up around sheep. They're not the smartest thing, but they're really interesting. Oh, I mean, I have stories of them running into a fence for no absolute reason. You're just like, what are you doing? Um, but the thing is, is the reason why my sheep did that is because they didn't know us. Like, we had them out in a pasture. We had dogs that protect them. I'd walk out occasionally, throw some food. I'd fill up their water. They didn't know us. All they knew is once a year, 
I was sprinting in the field, grabbing them by the legs, and we would eat them. Um, so that's all they knew about me. Morbid, I'm, I apologize. Um, but what, what we understand of like an actual shepherd is like a shepherd lives with the sheep. He protects the sheep. Like the sheep, like know a shepherd's voice. Like you could have a group of sheep and, and many and all of us in a circle and his shepherd in the midst of them and all of us could be calling to the sheep and I don't know how you call a sheep but you're calling to it and the shepherd out of the whole crowd could say come and that sheep would follow the voice of the shepherd. When Jesus says follow me, it's not this idea of like we just do what Jesus says and we follow after him. It's we look, we look to a shepherd that's good and safe and gonna protect us. And even more than that, he says follow me as an image to, to live like. He says watch me and live like I do. Know me and let that change you. And Jesus says, follow me. It's not this idea of just like a bunch of rules and a bunch of things we do in an order so that he's happy. When we follow him is because he's offering us a relationship with him, to know him and to, and to understand him. Jesus' command in our lives is to follow him. And we do that by denying ourselves and picking up our cross and ultimately choosing him over the thing, over everything. Now the thing is here, for some of you guys here, like that sounds like it sucks. Like why do I want to give everything up? Why do I want to die to myself and take on something that's hard? Why do I want to pick up my cross that may lead to death and shame and loneliness? That sounds terrible. And why do I want to live something that may seem like it's not worth it? What I love about this passage is Jesus doesn't just give a command. He doesn't just say, hey, do this. And I'm the God of the universe. I'm out. Like, do it. He comes in here and he gives us four reasons why we should follow him. Um, reason number one. Jesus says, follow me. And he says this in Mark eight thirty-five. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Let me ask you guys a question. Who here plays video games? Okay. This one's going to make Micah really, really happy. Who here has ever played God of War 2? <laughs> Micah's not a real fan. He said he was ready for four. Okay, so, so God of War is a great game. Wonderful. So opening scene of God of War. You're playing the video game. You get in. You jump in as the main character, and you're fighting Zeus, Right? I don't know if any of you guys play video games, but when you, into, when, like, you start the game by like, a big fight, you're like, I'm going to win this. And you fight, and you fight. I mean, I've sat there, quit games, thrown controllers, and I'm like, I'm going to beat this guy, right? So I spent hours and hours and hours as the beginning of this game trying to beat this first boss. But the thing is, is like, there's no way to beat him. The game was not created to do that. You do lose. You don't have a choice. Right? No matter how hard I fight, no matter how much I do in this game, I will lose. It's exactly what Jesus is telling us here. For you, if you desire to save, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. And you're like, Andrew, what does it mean when you say trying to save? Is that like trying to, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm in danger. I don't feel like anything's going wrong. It's like, Jesus is saying this is like, how many of us try to live in a protective bubble of ourselves? How many of us try to save our lives by making sure everything is comfortable and everything is easy and everything's going to be okay? And if I just do that, my life's going to be great. If I just say the right things and I don't do that and I do this, it's going to be okay. We try to save our lives. We try to protect ourselves and hold it in. 
And what Jesus says is if we try to save our lives, we're going to lose it. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many things you do, you cannot save yourself. You will lose it. You will lose your life. And when he says if you lose your life, you will save it. What, do you like? what does that mean? Well, it means this. If we give up the desire for comfort and, and okayness and safety and all those kind of things and realize like those things are not going to make me happy. They're not going to bring hope. But I'm going to trust that God, like Jesus can, I'm going to follow him. We will find life. For some of you, you heard your whole life, if I just do the right things, if I just don't make those bad decisions, everything's gonna be okay. Right? You cannot save your life. The second reason Jesus tells us to follow him is in um, the next verse, he says this. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I think this is honestly one of the biggest ones I've ever struggled with. Because my whole life, all I ever heard was, Andrew, if you just make enough money, you're gonna live a great life. If you just do this, you're gonna be okay. Like my parents always say, don't have that job, go to college, get a better one. All you hear in the world around you is make a lot of money, do what makes you famous, do what makes you big, make everyone know who you are. And Jesus clearly says here, what does it profit you? What good can come from you gaining everything? but lose your soul. I think one of the craziest things is, um, I remember in high school, this really hit me in a different way. Um, I used to be a huge Mac Miller fan. Um, like, I just like love Mac Miller. I don't endorse his music, but I, it was like my guy. I was like, this is who I listen to. And I remember sitting there one day, and it said like, Mac Miller took his own life. I remember I was a junior in high school, and I was like, what? This guy had everything. Like, this guy was filthy rich. This guy, had, this guy was booming on the stage. He probably was one of the top artists, and he's gone. And it didn't make sense to me. I wasn't a believer at this point. I was like, why would someone who, had, who I think had everything just not be happy? Because you've experienced it in maybe small or big ways, but the ultimate truth is there's nothing in this life that can save us. You can have as much money and as much power and as much fame, as much goals as you want to reach and it will never make you happy. It'll never satisfy. You will lose your soul. You can't save your life, no matter how comfortable, no matter how easy, no matter how great you may think it is, you cannot save your soul. And no amount of money or possessions or fame and fortune or goals you can reach can ever save you. Jesus then goes for his third reason. He says this. For what can a man give in return for his soul? There's no amount of work. There's no amount of good deeds. There's no amount of things you can do that can save you. There's not this balance in life of like, maybe if I do enough good and less bad, like things are gonna be okay for me. Or maybe if I just try hard enough to be a good person, like that's enough, right? Like I can be a good person and my life's gonna be okay. 
You have nothing in return for your life. You can't do anything that makes your life go any longer or any better. Nothing you do, no amount of work you give, nothing can be returned for your soul. For most of us, maybe we, all we've done is to try to be comfortable, to try to be okay, try to be safe. Maybe for some of us, we think maybe if we just get to that point that everyone talks about, it'll be okay. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe I can buy it. Maybe I can work hard enough. And Jesus very clearly here says, like, none of that is possible. None of it. You can't save yourself no matter how much you do. And the fourth thing he says, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. How many of us would say, like, we follow Christ? But the truth of the matter is we're just playing church. I grew up in a Christian home. I know Jesus but there's no relationship there. I don't really know him. I'm ashamed to talk about him. I come on Thursdays. I come on Sundays. I maybe go to a life group occasionally. But if someone's to say, like, who is Jesus? We're like, I have no idea. I'm going to, like, get away from that question. I don't, ha- I don't understand any of that. I'm ashamed to talk about him. I'm fearful of what it may do to my social status. I'm fearful what it may do to my pursuit of my goals. I'm fearful what it will do to make what people think about me. We fear what may come if we, are, if we say we follow Jesus. We're ashamed not because we're like scared of what Jesus may do. We're, we're fearful and ashamed because Jesus is not that great in our eyes. It would be, it'd be like me waking up tomorrow morning, going to my wife and saying, man, I, like, Lauren, I really love you. And they're like, let's go out to breakfast, and I take her out, and someone goes, is this your wife? I go, no, I've never met her. <laughs> that wouldn't end well. <laughs> right? That's ridiculous, like, because what, I love my wife. I care about her. I would never tell someone she's not my wife, unless I was joking with her to make her get upset with me. But, like, I would never do that, right? I would never want her to ever feel like I don't love her, because she... I, I committed my life to her. Like, outside of my relationship with Jesus, like, she is the number one priority in my life. And the thing is, is how often do we go and we say, man, I love Jesus. He's everything. Or like, I'm a Christian. And, some, and the second something becomes tension or something may make us at a point where we're like, ooh, but that, I don't know. <laughs> and what I find... Out of all these things, like Jesus doesn't even say like you lose your soul. What he says here is like if you're ashamed of me here, when you come before me in the Father, I will be ashamed of you. I promise you, if you've never, if you've never been to a church, if you've never heard this before, I promise you, you if you were trying to live a comfortable life, it's not worth it. If you think getting all the money and the status and the things in this world will suffi- suffice, it's not worth it. If you think you can just do enough good, it's not worth it. 
And if you're ashamed of your faith, it's not worth it. It's not worth it not just because I can stand on stage and go like, look, Christ is so good. It's not worth it because Jesus clearly points to this. He says something, he says, you will lose your soul. For most of us, that's like an interesting like, thing we don't talk about our soul. But ultimately what Jesus is pointing to this is one day you will die. It's going to happen. You will die. But we, when we die, as much as you may want to believe or think, we don't just go to nothing. Like, we don't just disappear and everything's like, you know, black space or we reincarnate. Like, that's not what happens. The thing is, Jesus knows that because he created us. And he created all things. And he knows when we die, there is more life to be had. And Jesus isn't just calling you to follow him here on earth, doing what he's called you to do. Jesus is calling you to follow him for the rest of eternity. He's calling you because he understands when you die on this earth, there you, go to, you go somewhere. And his desire is that you would choose to follow him so that when you have your last breath on earth, your next breath is in heaven with him. And if you've never heard of heaven, heaven is a place where God is, and it's, I'm going to maybe do a bad job of this, and I apologize, but God is a place we go when we die, and we're with God, and I want I don't really know what it's going to look like. None of us know what it's 100% going to look like, but I know what it's going to be like. I know all the hopeless and the emptiness and the brokenness and the shame and the fear and the depression and the anxiety will be gone. We will have joy and peace and happiness, not because it's just there, but because we get to be with the God of the universe who created all things, who loves you so much, and we just get to experience endless amounts of him for all eternity. Jesus isn't just calling you willy-nilly to say, look, I'm here. He's saying, please follow me because there's some place far greater than what you've ever experienced. There's hope for the hopelessness in your own heart. The fears and the depression that you may deal with or the anxiety that fills your heart, it will be no more when you're with me. That is where we're called to. That is what Jesus is ultimately calling us. You can't, we can't save our souls because the, here's the thing, if, if heaven is real, then I'm really sorry to tell, and, I, and this is, I, I pray I do this with grace, is that the opposite direction is hell. And I have no idea what hell 100% is going to look like. The Bible talks about it. What I do know is this, that it's separation from God. That means that there will be no joy. There will be no happiness. There will be endless amounts of fear and anxiety. Lostness. for all and the rest of eternity, things we can't even grasp, we will be. I, I hate being the person that comes up here and says, this is a life or death situation, but the truth of the matter, it is. Jesus calls us to follow him because he's calling us to follow him well past the time you, you live on this earth. But he's not just calling you to be like, look, I'm good. He's like, look what I have for you. Look at this gift Look at this beautiful thing. Look at me. I'm far greater than all else. And I think even a more beautiful thing is for many of us, we may hear this and go, so, so I'm, I can save my life if I choose Christ. If I choose to follow Christ, I can save my life. And the truth of the matter is no. Because your life has already been saved. When Jesus says pick up your cross, is because he's already done it. Like Jesus came down from heaven, the place that's this perfect place to come live on a broken earth, to live a perfect life. Why? Because he knew there was no hope for us. 
All of us were losing our lives. All of us were marked by sin and brokenness, rebellion against God. We were hopeless. And he looked down and says, I want to give them hope. And he came down, he walked, and he bore and died on a cross, which we deserved, and he took the wrath of God. So now he could look at us and go, you don't save yourself, I save you. But come and follow me. Look what I've done for you. Look what I have for you. Yeah, I understand if you deny yourself, it's hard on earth. And you may pick up your cross and you, you may be lonely and you may suffer and you may do all these things. But your life is but a, whisk, a vapor. It's here one day and gone the next. We're not promised tomorrow. But Jesus, he's worried about what we do on earth, how we follow him, but he's ultimately desiring our heart to be with him forever. Following Jesus in your life is not just about making the right decisions here on earth. It's looking to eternity and knowing it's good. But I do want to say this. Jesus' call for us is about our life here. I want to read from a, diff um, a different spot that says the exact same thing um, as this verse says. It's in Luke 9.23. It says this. I think I have it, yeah. And he said to said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus' call is a call to follow him into eternity, but it's also a call to follow him today. And we won't do that perfectly. And what I love about it, what it says in Luke, he uses the word daily. Because daily, we have to choose Christ. Right? Daily we wake up, we choose to deny all the things we want to do and all the hopes that we, our pride and our sin leads to and all those kind of things and we, we choose Christ. We pick up our cross and we go, God, you have already done this. I'm going to walk. I'm going to follow after you. I can tell you, you're not going to be perfect. Because a man up here who utterly sucks at following Jesus sometimes is telling you, you do not need to be perfect. I daily mess up. I daily deny Christ and choose other things. I daily forget to, or I don't even say forget, I daily choose not to pick up my cross at times. You don't have to be perfect, and that's not what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to a relationship that we wake up, we realize, man, God is good. I want to deny myself. I want to di die. I want to pick up my cross. I want to do all these things because Jesus is better, and you're not going to be perfect at it. And for you that are struggling with the idea of sometimes you feel like you're just not good enough and you're not following Christ well enough, God's desire is not for you to be perfect because the perfection he desires was taken by Jesus. He desires that you continually choose him, continually run after him. Even when you fall, you run to him and say, Lord, forgive me, now let's, let's keep following. We talk about Jesus' calling to follow him. We hear so often in our world, follow your heart. Follow what you desire. Follow your hopes and your dreams that may lead you to something. But Jesus says, follow me. Give all that up. I'm better. And what I would ask is for some of you tonight that have never made that decision, I'd ask you to consider what would it be for you that have never decided to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus for the first time? To, to surrender all that this world promises that is broken and not worth it, 
and to choose a God who gave everything for you because he loved you. And for you that have chosen to follow Christ, I want to ask you this, are you daily choosing to follow him? Are you living your life in your heart set on other things? Jesus says it this way in the Gospels. He says, having two hands on the plow but two eyes looking back. How many of you in this room are living your life saying, I'm following Jesus, but all you desire is what's behind? Jesus calls us to follow him because what he has to offer is far greater than all other, or all other things. Will you choose to follow him? You guys will pray with me. Lord, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for your word, Lord, that you don't just call us to follow into random, physical following that's empty and meaningless, but Father, you call us to a relationship with you, to follow you and to know you and to love you um, as you have loved us. And so, Lord, I pray in this room, Lord, for... Um, anyone who's never placed their faith in you, Lord, that, they would, that you would just reveal yourself to them and they would consider um, what it would look like, Father. And Lord, if for those that have, Lord, I pray you would just stir in their hearts, are they following you with all they have or do they have two hands on the plow going one way but two eyes looking back desiring so many other things? Holy Spirit, I pray you would move and you would work and, um, and you would just have your way in your name. Amen.